Kia ora, I'm Jean Bell and today on The Detail... The great Kiwi brain drain is well underway. Our borders are opening, restrictions are loosening. After two years, New Zealand is emerging from its pandemic isolation, which means, for many of you, the big OE is back on the cards. Well, it's getting harder and harder for employers to find staff with online job listings soaring to another record high. The brain drain, great resignation... Worker exodus. Whatever you call it, the entire world is facing a labour crunch. And New Zealand is not immune. So, what impact is that having on firms here? And what should employers be doing to have the best shot at keeping a hold of their precious staff? And what's behind one firm's scheme to help stem the outgoing tide of talent? Mark Spencer is among the bosses feeling the skilled worker pinch. Difficulty in being able to secure sufficient top-notch qualified professional people is, is going to be very, very tough over the next couple of years. Mark's the building group director at Becker, an engineering firm with more than 3,000 employees in Aotearoa and the wider Asia-Pacific region. A quick look at Becker's website reveals more than 300 jobs going in New Zealand alone, ranging from civil engineers to payroll jobs. Not filling these vacancies could leave the company hamstrung. We're a very much a, a people business, we're a consultancy, so uh, in, in a resource-constrained market you only have a couple of options really. That, that's either to take longer or you know, in the last couple of years, probably more so than we have in the past, we've been obliged to say we, we can't deliver that project within your target timeframes. And sometimes a client will come back and say, well, what can you accommodation and other times of course they're obliged to try and look elsewhere for another means of getting that project delivered. But it's not just Becker that's suffering. Oh I think everybody's facing very very similar challenges. Uh, One of the things we really do need to try and avoid is is just getting into a bidding war where we're sort of shuffling the deck and moving people between different firms in New Zealand. That, That won't ultimately increase the total capacity that we have but yeah certainly there's been quite a bit of um, a little bit of that going on with some significant increases being offered to people to try and attract them into other organisations. Government officials estimate 50,000 Kiwis will leave over the next year, but that number could swell to as high as 125,000. Among those set to head off is Jesse Chang. You might remember Jesse if you've listened to this podcast before, as she was our associate producer. Now she's among the young Kiwis who have lined up a stint living overseas. Yeah, so I am planning to head over to Taiwan at the end of September. Um, I'm actually going there to do some volunteering, so about four months or so at this stage, but I've kind of left it quite open. So I've, I've literally booked a, a one-way ticket and um, we'll, we'll see where that takes me kind of next year. I'm really excited to be um, going back because also with the last two years, just no travel, um, that's been really different for me. I've grown up going to a lot of places, so being locked down in New Zealand was quite a change. And doing an OE or living and working overseas is a bit of a rite of passage um, for young New Zealanders. Do you know many other people that are heading overseas and, and you know, perhaps among your friends or um, other people around your age? Oh, yeah, for sure. 
I've got two friends who literally um, resigned and are moving to Australia start of next month, so within two weeks or so, in August. And they've told me that, you know, the working conditions here are just not great. They're not being paid enough. And in Australia, they're, they're being offered six figures. And that's a 40% increase of, of what their salary is here in New Zealand. Um, and I've got other friends as well who work in the healthcare system and they've said that they're just super burnt out and some have resigned without even having another job lined up. While healthcare work is quite different from engineering, it's stories like these that can make bosses like Mark Spencer nervous, particularly if younger staff who have been forced to delay their OE decide to jet off all at once. If we were to lose a significant cohort, uh, it would undeniably impact our ability to deliver. And, I mean, we've, we've already had a bit of a taste of that, I suppose, just in the last few weeks. It's felt like COVID has taken a lot of people out, either... They themselves have got sick or uh, members of their family have and they've been obliged to, to self-isolate and so on. And that's we're really feeling that biting a little bit at the moment. Hopefully this peak will not last too long. So it's, it's very much that, that sort of thing, I suppose, that we're anticipating. At, at the moment, we're pretty busy. with uh, We did a, a lot of work in what, for what you might term institutional clients, um, councils, the universities are big clients of ours, a lot of work in the healthcare sector, etc., So the demand in those areas is actually holding up really, really well, um, which is good for business, but to service that, it's going to be very dependent on our ability to retain staff. Instead of holding youngsters in a death grip, Mark Spencer is hoping to release, then recapture them. He's setting up a talent-sharing scheme of sorts with a UK engineering firm called Burrow Happold. This sees Becker staff who are looking to move abroad encouraged to apply for roles at Borough Happold and vice versa. Historically, pre-COVID if you like, there's been a, a tradition of engineers probably two or three years into their career seeking to do the traditional Kiwi OE but not so much go and work in a bar somewhere overseas but get some uh, professional experience in a firm that perhaps looks a bit like ours. Uh, in other parts of the world really as they as they sort of spread their wings and want to see the world and... Um, we're anticipating, I suppose, that as as things return to normal, fingers crossed, that we'll see a bit of that uh, occurring perhaps later this year, certainly certainly next. You're wanting to make this a rather curated experience. Could mm-hmm. you tell us about, you know, creating that expectation that these workers will return to the company? Yeah, obviously um, nothing's guaranteed in that sense. People will be resigning from our business, joining another uh, if they like it over there, I, I suppose there's the potential they'll remain longer term. I, I think the onus is on us to, to make rejoining our organisation, Becker, a, a very compelling proposition. So uh, we're trying to make sure that people's experience early at that early stage of their career is exemplary, um, but that they can see a long-term future with the firm as well. So pulling this together, as you say, is a more curated experience Ideally, we can do a little bit of expectation setting at the outset that, hey, we'd really love to see you back. And in the event you do return to New Zealand, um, which we certainly hope people will with having acquired um, fresh skills and developed their careers further, um, that you'll want to come back and rejoin our organisation. I suppose the other thing is with us having communicated this it will normalise perhaps somebody having that conversation with their direct manager, hey, this is something I've been thinking about. 
so I, I think that's that'll be great in in terms of us having visibility of people that are, you know, do have an appetite for this sort of thing as well. Talent sharing schemes aren't a new idea. But Jane Canelli, an HR veteran who's worked in the sector for more than three decades, thinks companies need to be front-footing the so-called brain drain. I think we have to be proactive as employers. We have got people that actually want to go and see the world. They've been stuck for a couple of years. So perhaps to encourage them is a really good thing and, um, and to see if you can keep the door open for when they eventually do come home. And that's really smart because they come home with so much more. What are the risks of bosses not taking this talent exodus seriously and just in general hustling to retain their talent? To ignore it is to ignore it at your peril, I believe, because when you lose them, you lose their IP, you lose sometimes their whole customer group, you can lose their network. There's an informal network internally that will be disestablished. People will be disgruntled. Morale can be impacted. It costs a lot to recruit people now because the market's so tight. Not only just the advertising, but any other fees that are associated with that. And what about the story where you think you've just hired the new person and they get offered another job elsewhere because they've been out on the market looking? Um, So there's the counter-offer, as we refer to them. Those sorts of things happen. Um, Then you've got to actually bring the new person on board. So there's that whole induction piece as they learn the ropes. And there used to be a rule of thumb that it takes at least a year to really get a person, you know, once they've got their feet under the desk, really get high productivity out of them so that they understand the nuance of your business. So turnover is a huge cost. I mean... Think about an organisation with 100 people and they lose 15%. So that's 15 people that they're paying easily, plus salary increases that will happen when they go to hire new people. I mean, it's running into the hundreds of thousands that they will have to fork out, putting it bluntly, to keep their vacancies full. So um, there's a lot to be said for really getting alongside people and trying to reduce turnover. Um, However, right now, I think the best thing organisations can do is make sure their managers are really well equipped and know how to communicate with their people and and get alongside them and find out where their heads are at and have regular, regular communication with them. In Becca's example, they are creating the expectation that that employee will come and rejoin the company upon their arrival back in New Zealand. The handshake going out the door on the OE is just as important as, you know, as anything else. So what should employers be doing to um, perhaps pave the way for that worker to return to the business? I think uh, helping, front-footing it with the employee is a really great thing to do, work out what they're doing, what their plans are. I mean, how wonderful to have the door open for when they come back. Um, And this is the whole notion of alumni and how organisations who are really focused on talent pooling or talent networks, they've already got the tiger by the tail here because they will be interacting and communicating with those individuals when they're overseas. How clever it is, the organisations that actually build on that alumni and keep them connected. And in fact, if they are really clever, they will be following and plotting them on LinkedIn, especially the high performers. They'll be watching their moves and their changes and they will be ready to capture them the moment they start to head back home. And how would you feel coming back to New Zealand knowing that your old company recognises everything that you've done and actually wants to talk to you first of all about coming back into their doors? You know, we are hearing a lot about employees calling the shots in the current labour market, whether that's asking for more money or perhaps more flexible working arrangements, what should employers be doing to have the best shot at retaining their employees? 
Look, I think the main thing is that you need to understand that um, getting alongside your people and having genuine conversations with them is where it all starts. Um, most of the work that we've done, particularly in the workplace wellbeing index, um, it shows strongly that people want an opportunity to be rewarded, recognised and seen for the contribution that they make. And so one of those things is to actually involve people in decisions that really concern them. So one of the best places to start is to get alongside your people and actually ask them what's important to them. Um, what are some of the pressures that they're finding in the world, What their world, what would work really well for them? And, and look, certainly some suggestions may be a little bit, um, you know, slightly off the, off the bullseye as far as being able to do really easily, but some of the suggestions will be really sensible. Yes, there's pressure in the market around salaries at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so organisations should not be tone deaf to that particular conversation either. However, if putting that to one side, if that's actually fair and reasonable and then you're really getting alongside your people to understand exactly what's important to them, because it's different for everyone, um, I think organisations got a fair chance of retaining their people because that, that's actually where it starts. And on the flip side, are there things that perhaps employers shouldn't be doing in order to keep a hold of their staff in the current climate? There are some things that are happening right now that that are a turn-off, I think, for employees. For example, I'm thinking of a number of uh, situations I've heard about where uh, CEOs and senior leadership teams are sending out emails saying, you must come back to the office now. We want everyone back. Well, we've just been through a massive experiment, and actually other research would suggest that 85% of employees want some type of flexibility. So the moment you put up a block and obstacle like that, you're starting to actually echo that you're not really hearing what's going on. I think, you know, from my bias as well, well-being is really important inside organisations. And this isn't sort of like everyone goes to a yoga spa or, you know, um, light and fluffy or a banana at lunchtime. But actually, well-being is about um, supporting the individual in a way that allows them to do a really great job. So there's a method to the madness. So to ignore the equation, which is um, satisfied people work hard, and they, if they're valued, recognised and rewarded for that work, they, they'll do a great job. It all flows down to the bottom line. Profitability and thriving occurs. And that's actually because you care about how people are actually turning up to work every day. And we're certainly seeing that even over the last year, some organisations have dialed back their wellbeing programmes. So somewhere in your mind, you'd have to go now, what are they really thinking about? Is this just about cost? In which case, you're looking at the wrong end of the funnel. Um, is this about something else? Do you think people just need to suck it up and get on with it? Well, those days have gone. The pressure people have been under has been immense. That doesn't mean to say that they don't want to do a great job. They actually do. They just need to be recognised for the whole person that they are. What should employees be thinking? You know, if if someone's at a job and is maybe weighing up their options, you know, what could they be thinking about or asking for in this current climate? They're told often that there is a career plan for them or a, a training plan. And I think these days it's actually not just, it's just not good enough to say, yep, we've got a training plan for you and nothing happen. And this is, I think it's pretty critical that people start building their tools and their toolkit and learning more, asking for more, wanting to do more, being paid more. Um, so I think organisations have really got to understand that, that, that employees are taking this stuff seriously and actually they're 
growth and development is really important. And so it's got to be more than lip service. And in fact, I'd say to any listener that's an employee, potential employer, candidate looking for work, one of the questions that you could ask at an interview is, tell me about the career development opportunities that are here. And I'll bet you bottom dollar everyone will say, oh, we've got great development opportunities. And that's fantastic. Then the next question should be, give me an example of someone who succeeded in your business under your career development program. And that's where the rubber meets the road because that's where you're really looking for an authentic response with a clear example about how people grow inside this business. No one wants to sit still and not learn. But in Jesse Chang's opinion, bigger salary packets would also go a long way to help keep young people grounded. Because that shows that the company values them. Um, I, from talking to my peers and friends, it it just sounds like the company doesn't value them because they're not being paid for the level of work that they're doing. Um, and overseas, they're just paying much better. While Becker's talent sharing plan might help plug some holes, Mark Spencer admits it's not going to be a magic bullet. So what if it fails and those young people that you've helped into jobs either stay in the UK or they end up going to other jobs when they return to New Zealand? Maybe I'll take that in reverse order. If they go into other jobs, then we've kind of failed a little bit, I suppose, in in creating a really compelling value proposition for them to return to our organisation. If they remain in the UK, putting a positive spin on it, the upside there would be that we have a stronger relationship back into that organisation because they are, they'll always be Becker alumni. For those that remain over there, they'll just become contacts back into that organisation. If they leave Borough Happold and join other firms in the UK, then often that, again, these become additional strings to our overall bow and that they gain expertise. They might be suitable partners for us in the future. It's As long as one can sort of maintain contact, which over time can become a little bit tenuous, but it's remarkable how many people we've subsequently have returned to New Zealand even seven, eight, nine years after they've gone off on their um, their OE and often they'll have a plan to raise a family here. So you do, it's remarkable how often you do see them back, but sometimes it's a much longer interval than perhaps ideal. Are you expecting that an equal number of uh, UK engineers will come this way as we expect to head up into the Northern Hemisphere? A- actually, I'm not. Uh, the, we think of it as very much a rite of passage down here, don't we? Uh, the, the Kiwi OE, it's not such a thing over there. So at this stage, we're, we're not anticipating that there'd be an equivalent number travel down this way. It might be three or four or five to one, not not sure, don't want to predict it too much, but uh, we have actually had one or two people make an inquiry from their end before it's been formally launched, and um, similarly, at this end, uh, one or two people have uh, already had an interview with Barry Happold, interestingly enough. And where do you see this really tight labour market heading in the next year or two? Do you see that pressure subsiding anytime I, soon? I do not. I, th- I think it's going to be very, very challenging, actually. Uh, one of the things I, I think is going to be a trend that we're going to observe is, a, is quite a draw over to Australia. There's a there's a huge budget for spending in areas as diverse as um, sort of city infrastructure, big rail programs, uh, massive healthcare spend, big spend in defence over there underway as well. So there's a number of uh, sectors which 
uh, going to create quite a draw, I think, for well-qualified people from New Zealand. So that's that's going to be something that may well play out in the coming months. A- again, as borders sort of open up and, and people are feeling more confident about moving around between countries and cities. Well, I think we're going to be settled with this for some time. Um, it's exacerbated now because we have got an exodus of people heading off overseas. Whether they'll stay away as long as they used to, even though I think, you know, they certainly they can. The doors are open a bit wider, as far as I can tell, uh, with changes in um, visas, etc. But no, it's a tough market. Um, this is where HR comes to the party. They've got to really strategically look at this market and go, OK, there's a way through and this is what we're going to do. So really making sure retention things are in place, learning and development, etc. It presents an opportunity. You know, what can we strip out that's not important? How can technology help us? Um, how will we get um, equally, probably more productivity out of people who are working from home rather than making them battle through the traffic and pay parking and petrol? There's a real opportunity here to step back and actually go, you know what, we've done some of this stuff for years. How about we really seriously take a look at what we can strip out? And you know what? Why don't we ask our employees what they would do to help streamline this business? Not to rationalise it, but to streamline it, to make it hum, so that we can actually hit our targets. And I think they'll find that if they unleash that extraordinary brain power with people who are actually affected by often many of these decisions, they may well find that they come up with some new things that are going to make a difference. And this is what this pressure cooker could result in. I think that's the potentially the silver lining. And those visa changes Jane Canelli mentioned are good news for young Kiwis who want to spend more time living and working in the UK. The age limit for the youth mobility scheme will increase from 30 to 35 and people can spend three years in the UK up from two. That's it for today. I'm Jean Bell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Mark Spencer and Jane Canelli. Mā te wā.